Hey everyone, welcome back to Parenting is Political, or welcome to Parenting is Political, if this is your first time listening. Uh, We're glad to have you here. My name is Mo Banks, my pronouns are they, them, and I record this podcast with my wife, Jasmine Banks, whose pronouns are she, her. Um, We record this podcast about parenting, but also about so many other things. Uh, So really excited to have you. Uh, This particular episode is a special one because it's an interview episode, which are um, some of my favorites. We've had so many incredible guests on this show. So I'm in particular really excited about this episode because um, just of of how beautiful and authentic and lovely um, the people that we got to interview were for this for this episode. And speaking of who we interviewed, I would love to introduce them right now. And then we're just going to jump right in. So hang in there. We had the pleasure of sitting down this week with Samantha Page Davis. Samantha's pronouns are she, they. Um, And Samantha has made their home in DC, although she's originally from Pittsburgh. Um, Samantha is a black feminist storyteller. They're also an organizer and an egg donor who's committed to building black power, and cultivating black joy. We are also joined by Omar and Keith Hassan Tauri. Um, they're two intended black fathers who are building a family with Samantha in this really beautiful way. I cannot wait for y'all to hear their story. So I'm not going to take up much more of this of your time at the beginning because there's just so much... Um, so much good things to be discussed. So let's jump right in. And thank you again for joining us. If you're not already following us on Instagram, uh, you can find us at Parenting is Political. And you can also learn more by visiting our website, parentingispolitical.org. All right, y'all. Enjoy the episode. All right. So I have been following Samantha for a while um, I don't know how our uh, worlds and networks converge. I assume we're in like a lot of black radical overlapping spaces and follow started following your account and you were tracking um, your your hormone process and trigger shots. And I maybe yeah. had probably some rosé and was like, come on my podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's my planning process. <laughs> and when you told me um, that you had Keith and Omar, who you would like to also bring into conversation. And so just tell our listeners who you are, what your background is, Samantha, and um, introduce us to Keith and Omar, please. Yeah. So uh, really cool to be here um, to share our story. Um, I'm Samantha Davis. I use she, they pronouns. Um, I am a Black woman. I'm a Black uh, feminist that does policy work at the intersection of racial justice and gender justice. Um, so I'm huge on reproductive justice and also believe that operating through an abolitionist framework um, is a part of that. Uh, and I do that um, as an individual and the professionally uh, and the founder of a organization called Black Swan Academy, where we work to build black youth power and enhance black youth voice. Um, And Keith is actually a founding board member of Black Swan Academy. So our lives intersect in so many different ways. Um, And I guess a few years ago, I started uh, the journey to freeze my eggs. um, And along the way, um, was uh, introduced, I guess, for lack of a better term, into the notion of 
egg donation. Um, and I knew um, at the time that if I were going to donate my eggs, then it would be with uh, people who I wanted to be a part of uh, raising those children um, and be in some shape or form um, a, a mama to them. And so um been blessed to know Keith for a decade plus yep. t- 12 years or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and so we bring what Keith and Omar, uh, for lack of a better term, are uh, they are my friends. They are my comrades. They are my booze. Keith, we went to grad school together um, and now they're my baby daddies. And that is really fun and exciting to say. <laughs> From grad school to baby daddy. <laughs> yes. Well, one of the reasons why I was so um, hyped about having this conversation with y'all is because in many spaces where folks are raising their consciousness around Blackness and Black love and Black family, Often, um, and I, as a queer Black woman, have a a hard time with this frequently, is there's sort of this um, uh, idealization of Black love only through marriage heteronormative um, frame. And Mo and I are non-monogamous, and though Mo um, co-parents with me and cohabitates with me, many of my other partners have been Black and Brown folks, but because we use marriage in in the South uh, to, as a harm reduction strategy, we don't have a lot of rights. And so being married gives us that that insulation. Um, Relationships like ours are often reduced and Black folks in particular that are in relationships like mine um, play second fiddle to a lot of heteronormative pro-marriage narratives. And so I know of Black radical love in, in a way that is queer. Uh, that is outside of the heteronormative binary. And so I was so drawn to your story because I was like, oh, that's deep black radical love that is outside of this sort of like cis het Christian normative analysis. So I'm just curious, how did you land where you land? Because I would say it's definitely an outlier to dominant narratives we hear of what black love is. Yeah, <laughs> I laugh yeah. because there's other people are just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? With who? Why? Um, and what I sit with often, and like Keith Omar and I have been through like therapy. We've had like a lot of really intentional conversations about like what what we're up to. And I knew, I, and I share this very publicly. I am someone who has never like necessarily I'm not that I'm not that person who's like I've I've always wanted to be married I've always wanted to have children um that has never been me um but when I started asking the question around what it means to bring children into this world um and as someone who also knows that they don't want to carry I was I knew that it I wanted to do that with people who I loved um and people who I trusted and people who I could, it sounds, because of the heteronormative piece, it sounds strange saying it, but people who I know I can be connected with for the rest of my life. Um, And I still cannot say that about many people outside of Keith and Omar. And there's a handful of other folk, um, but Keith and Omar are definitely among them. And I have no hesitancy or qualms at all with the idea and the notion of being so intrinsically linked um, to these two beautiful beings. 
Yes, that's so, oh. that's so wonderful. Y'all gonna get yes. so far. <laughs> yes, yeah, I relate to that so much. I have supported um, platonic black partners um, in raising their children, single mamas, that I am like more in love and connected to them than I am with my white co-parent. And I'm like, sorry, black love takes priority here. And thankfully I have a partner who's understanding of that, but there's just something unique about it. Um, something sacred that needs to be protected and honored and put in, in, in the place that it deserves. And it shouldn't always um, be prioritized with this cis heteronormative lens. Um, we have all kinds of iterations of love as expansive as we are across the diaspora. So Omar, tell me a little bit about how this process started for you and what the journey has been like. Oh, okay. So this process for me started in my mind at a very early age. <laughs> this whole process I've already had in my brain and worked out. I just need to find the person to do it with. <laughs> you know, uh, I've always known I've been, I've always known I'm gay, like since I was like five, you know, um, and I always knew I wanted a family, always knew I wanted a family. So I basically was just dating and just trying to find a person that I knew I could do that with, who I could actually raise a child with that was sane and actually would get up and go to work, <laughs> you know, things like that. But as far as the family part of it, like I already knew that was going to happen. I just didn't know how it was going to happen. And so when I met Keith, you know, it is kind of, everything just kind of fell into place. It's just like, okay, you, you want to do this, I want to do this, and this is how we want to do our family, and then boom, this is how we're going to do it. But the universe just basically opened everything up to us. Like, Samantha, like, the fact that she's doing her eggs and she was open to actually giving some of her eggs to us, it was just like, what? <laughs> that was like a, a blessing, a beyond blessings. We just was not expecting that. And also... Um, our surrogate uh, was my friend and she just was like yeah I'll do it and it wasn't like an issue or problem or even like a real conversation she's just like yeah I'll do it when you want to do this you know um, and we both love both of these women you know so it's just crazy how the universe for us just made it happen you know um, that's been the process for me you know, and it hasn't been like a whole lot to even think about because universe said, hey, this is who you're going to do it with. And I said, OK, <laughs> and I'm open to it, you know, and ready for it. So that's what it's been. Why were you open to the whole part of the process? Well, <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> so <laughs> like I told you, everything was planned out in my brain already. So I'm a Cap, I don't know if it's a Capricorn thing or what, but I'm a Capricorn. And yeah, so- It's always a Capricorn thing. <laughs> man, so in my brain, once I have something worked out, it usually has to go that way for me to understand it, you know? Mm -hmm. So in my brain, I always figured, okay, the egg donor, she can donate her eggs and then that'd be it, you know? Cause I, I was afraid that if the egg donor stayed in the baby's life, then they would get super attached mm. and they would try to snatch our child or <laughs> not give us the child when it's born or, you know, one day the, the kid comes up missing because, you know, so I just had all that fear going on. So I really was like, 
No, if we, you know, the person should just not be super attached, you know, at all to the child for fear of that happening. Um, so, but, you know, like I said, universe and blessings, because Samantha wanting to be in our kid's life turned out to be the biggest blessing because um, I grew up without without my father. So I would not want our child, even though, you know, we are the parents, um, Samantha is a part of this child. Like that's their DNA, you know? So I would not want our child to grow up not knowing who that person is, you know? Um, so the universe just said, Omar, get out of your own way and just, you know, let this happen. And and I'm so happy for that now. And plus, you know, Samantha, Sam is not about to just kidnap the babies. I'm not running away with nobody's kid. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> mind you, she gonna get weekends and stuff like that. So, you know, <laughs> we're gonna openly embrace. Yes. Uh, but Which I also, I had to learn. I had to learn that too. I had to, I had to get to know Samantha and realize, okay, she is not that person, you know? So that, that's also, that was also part of the process. So tell me, Samantha, what was the emotional, spiritual, uh, relational sort of transformation that you had to lean into to support Omar moving through his fear as it relates to you being so linked to this baby? Yeah, um, that is an amazing question. I, I share that this has been a really spiritual journey for me. Um, and being a part of this process means a lot. It's very layered spiritually, emotionally. Um, so part of it is just being open and, and honest about that, um, about my expectations, about my boundaries, about my my why. And so, um, again, I think going through it, like taking injections every, every day, multiple injections every day for two weeks plus, um, for a series of time. And then, you know, it's, it's a lot. Um, and you learn so much about your body, particularly me. I've also shared openly that I have a history of fibroids and ovarian cysts. And so there's just so much that you have to be aware of about your body, about your diet, about your movement, about your sleep, like everything really, for me at least has like impacted how the outcome of this process went. And so, it allowed me to be much more in tune with my body, um, much more in tune with my mental, emotional state. And I think really communicating that with Keith and Omar and publicly has been like, was like really helpful for, for, for that process. I also think the portion of like Omar's particularly like longing for uh, for the children to know their family and to have a village um, and to be a part of that means a lot to me. Um, I want wanting to be in this role, but also having like genetic ties to this or these children um, also allows me to like honor my family in ways, honor my father who passed away um, I, right before the pandemic hit, right? And it's so it's a way particularly when you're taught as a young person that there's only one way to have children, there's only one way um, to to be connected to your like ancestral um, lineage, like it's it's huge to know that I'm able to continue to be a part of that 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 lineage. Um, yes, and trusting like Keith and Omar to to be a part of that too. And I hope 
because we've, we've been through this and have folks who have gone through this as well. When folks start questioning you and asking you specifically, Samantha, about birth, you remind them that there's more than one way to birth. It sounds like a kind right. of gestation and spiritual holding and birthing that you're doing for yourself, for, for your um, paternal line and and for the future of heathen Omar's um, young people that are. Yep, absolutely. Constant reminder, the idea of motherhood and what mother, and I shared that with Keith and Omar, like I, I know, and our therapist was like, you're like, you're coming out in a different way. And I'm like, yeah, that that's what it is. Um, and so consistently <laughs> yeah. having to remind people about what what the the various ways of parenting, of bringing children into this world, of caring for children, um, and also like pushing against all of the all of the fucked upness, for lack of a better term, that that is put on people who bring children into this world um, is a consistent reminder for myself, even like having to unpack all of that internal shit that I've learned and held, but also pushing back on my mama, pushing back on right the the other people in my life who just have a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith, it sounds like it was easy breezy for you, and the Omar had the anxieties around it. But I'm wondering how, what what came up for you. Um, in this process, in in the beginning of strategizing about how Samantha would be a part of this process, and then envisioning your future, where were you at in all of this? Um, <laughs> that was a, that, that's a good question, and, and and I know people always start that out to buy time. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, but <laughs> seriously, um, it, you know, it was it was this. Beautiful place to be in. And I say beautiful because, you know, I have two people that I love, right? I have somebody um, that I've been knowing for years. And then um, then I, I met Omar and I got somebody that I decided to build a life with, you know, as my partner, my, my everything with. So, you know, when Sam first, you know, mentioned it, I, I really feel like, I mean, she had told me before she was going to do the whole egg freezing process, even before I got married. I was like, yo, that's smart. I think I even started telling like my friends. Like I told Lisa, I was like, yeah, you should do this. Like we should really be doing these things, right? Treat your eggs. You never know what's gonna happen. But um, we was at the wedding. I think it was, and Sam was like, yo, you know, I want to donate the eggs to you, right? And that's kind of like a gesture that you hear people say, like, oh, thank you, that's so cute, you know. I, you know, I not saying I didn't think Sam would act on it because I know Sam would, but I was like, I'm not gonna pressure her about it. But when we start talking more about the situation. Um, she brought it back up again. So then I mentioned it to Omar. Omar at at beginning, he was like, "Oh, that's cool," but what does that really mean, right? So it just put me in this place where, like, I have to kind of like slow walk Omar a little bit to what was happening, and also, I guess, also, I guess, slow walk too Sam a little bit, right? And get them to where they're both on the same pace, so then they can both talk. Omar can really um, get his fears out there. He can learn Samantha outside of me because I think that was very important. And um, yeah, you know, just just get him to a point where he felt comfortable and then make sure Sam felt comfortable too about like, you know, about his concerns. And I think, um, I know it was weird, but I kept saying to them like, okay, yo, why don't you go hang out at Sam's house? Like y'all go do something together, like outside of me. Um, but um, yeah. he, again, it, it was a good place. I think... That's incredible. It sounds like you had to doula the relationship between Sam and Omar. 
<laughs> yes, I love. I mean, it. she is our baby mama after all. So you know. <laughs> Let's talk about the process because there are going to be folks, particularly uh, black queer folks, that are have happened upon parenting as political as a podcast. They followed us because of curiosity and they have never heard of building family in the way that you are building it. So just tell us high level, what it has looked like for you, um, the, the very specifics of the process that you feel comfortable sharing and, um, and why you chose this method in particular. Y'all got some more ins and outs. I feel like y'all should start. I feel like Keith knows all the details, like all of it. For no, everyone. He was a medical professional, right? Or are both of you? Did I misunderstand that? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I called I call Omar a doctor. He's not oh, actually okay. a doctor. I was like, somebody got called a doctor at some point. So, I am not a doctor. Samantha likes to call me a doctor. I wish I was, but I'm not. I did phlebotomy. All I know is how to draw blood from people. I'm not a doctor in any kind of way. My grandma would call you for all kinds of reasons. She'd be like, right. just lay around the lab. He's a medical doctor. He's a doctor. Are you got to put on scrubs? You a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith, you know, but you know best, I feel like, about what everyone is going through. They I were mean, telling me what I, and I was like, oh, wait, I missed that part. So. <laughs> like YouTube is like a blessing. Like it's a oh, blessing yeah, and a curse. Like yes. you sit down there and just like learn so much. The only reason why I'm so invested in it, of course, because it's our kids, but I just love that word blastasis. Like, the first time that we sat... <laughs> no, y'all. Like, he really <laughs> loves the word blastasis. Like, the, the, the biggest blessing so far in this journey is him learning that word. Like, not the fact that we can actually create babies in this way, you know, that we got actually have make this, this family situation. No, it's blastasis. Yeah, it's a dope word. Like, I'm serious. Like, if, if Set It Off had a part two, it would be called Blastosis. Like, it would, like, you get it, though? Like, she, anyway. Doesn't that sound like a like a Pokemon? <laughs> oh, I can see that, too. Yeah. Blastosis power. Go. So you're going to have yeah. to break down what that means. Yeah. So what's the process? Get yes. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the process. Um. Um, honestly, though, too, even with that word, like the first the first thing we all have to do is sit down and talk to our embryologist um, who basically walked us through the entire process of of what we what we're going to expect. And, you know, in that meeting is she broke down, you know, the first step. The first step is to retrieve the eggs. Uh, once you retrieve the eggs, um, you want to make sure the eggs are actually mature because Although Samantha is going to be taking, or she took all of those hormones to make sure that she had mature eggs. When they actually extract the mature, uh, those eggs that they believe are mature, all of them aren't mature. So they need to make sure that they're mature. And if they are mature, they freeze them immediately. And then we have to go through our process too with the sperm donation. Um, and we had to go do that. Um, and they have to make sure that everything was, was, was good for us, that we had good quality swimmers. Um, I think in the beginning, our first round, it was okay, but it could have been better. 
So they, you know, provided some instructions to us about what we can do to make sure our sperm will be stronger. And we waited a month or two, came back. And we had to like watch at least one season of Ayanla, then it improved the spiritual strength. (laughs) (laughs) I will go ahead and drop the the real about that part. So it was mine. My sperm was doing some things. I don't know what was going on. Well, I do know what's going on. So basically, some of them had like two heads or two tails and which... We also learned that happens with like males um, that there's some are mutated, you know, basically. But mine was like more than average. And I had a low sperm count, too. So they said that basically if I went and worked out and drank water, ate right and stuff like that, and come back in a month, um, we, it'd, be, it'd be a little bit better. And it was I didn't believe that, but it actually was true. Like I went back and it was better. And that process was interesting as well, because when you go do the whole donation situation, there's people right outside the door talking about all kinds of office stuff that (laughs) throws you completely off. And you know they're out there waiting for your deposits. So that was also a very interesting part of the process. So (laughs) I want to share that so people get the real about that. So you went through a whole process of improving the quality of your mm-hmm. specimen. You mm-hmm. found out about how you put Vicks on the bottom of your feet and stuff with socks on, <laughs> which also everything to cure any issues that were going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, it, it can't be raining outside when you go do the deposits because, you know, you know what I'm saying? You, no, all that. no slamming screen doors. That's right. Nope. That's right. Yes, that is right. those are Important parts of the process. Yes, they're very important. So all of you, in an effort to create, bring Black life into the world, were engaging in your own process of correction and recorrection and calibrating your bodies and being present with yourself in, in just new ways that had you not engaged in this process, you may not have been invited into that space. So mm-hmm. what an incredibly transformative process. Yes. I was actually going to share that I learned about my fibroids and my ovarian cysts because of this process, mm. uh, which is kind of fucked up. But also, I'm glad. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. glad that I, I I did it, and because of that, I also got really clear right directions on how I could um, feel better and in, in my body. Wish I knew that 15 years ago. Wish someone <laughs> cared about this black body enough then, but here we are now. That's real. That's here we are now. Here we are now. And we can say our kids were that blessing for you now. So we can tell them that when they get here. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks for thanks for <laughs> mama's ovaries. Well, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about um, how every iteration of family is valid. We started out this whole podcast just talking about how um, what even like queering family looks like and how, you know, like the the like what's that word the uh like the central family unit what's the word i'm thinking of the nuclear family is a construct of white supremacist power yes and so lots of people are on lots of different journeys and understanding that and so there might be folks listening to this who are thinking of you know starting this journey of making a family that looks uh, a little bit different than how lots of people around them are making their family or creating their family and I guess one of my questions would just be like, do you have any advice for folks who are um, considering 
creating family in a way that is a bit different than those who uh, maybe are around them or that they just see in society more often? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah. Do you have any mantras or processes that you put in place for yourself and each other to combat those really aggressive normative voices that are inside us mm-hmm. and outside of yeah. us. Mm. For me, what has been really helpful is it's not a mantra, but now I'm going to think about a, a one, <laughs> um, but it has been this idea of freedom and, and, and liberation. Um, and so much a part of liberation for me is, is choice, um, is having autonomy and agency over your body, um, and over your life. And so for, for me, making the decision that I was going to be a part of bringing life into this world is is key to to my liberation. Um, and I think everyone deserves to be their full, authentic selves, despite um, whether or not that's considered normal um, or or typical. Uh, the other things that are just really tangible is therapy is is very helpful um, for me and whatever it is that folk heal and get therapy and are able to like reflect and like counter um, has been really helpful. I practice like meditation. I was doing like a lot of walks. I was getting really grounded in what brings me joy, which is nature as like y'all can see, I, I keep plants around me. And so, yeah, I think this process, because it, it is for me more of, it was more of an internal struggle than it was anything else. Um, and so that means I needed to to do what I, I do to stay grounded um, and to be honest um, with me the whole time, with myself the whole time. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you, Samantha. I say therapy, therapy, therapy. <laughs> that is very important. I, I would say for myself, what my suggestion would be for people is if you're planning on doing this, planning on having a family, that's not the norm type of family. I would say um, that your circle is very important. Your tribe mm-hmm. is very important. So before the kids get here, look at your tribe and, and there might have to be some people that you have to let go, you know, I mean, just blunt, like, and if you don't, let them go you might have to put them in a box you know because you have to start being um mama or papa you know and those kids are precious and um everything that they have to do and deal with growing up is going to be a lot already so you have to make sure that your circle is going to be those supportive people that are going to help you through that (laughs) you know um it's unfortunate because there's some people that um Keith you know had to go ahead and say hey I have to um let you go because it's it's not going to be productive for my marriage or my kids. I you know, say, they should have been gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like the tea is their time is up. <laughs> Real tea. So. <laughs> well, and I think that's true wherever we're at on the spectrum of developing um, a liberatory praxis, yeah, right? Like right. our elders and ancestors have taught us that, that sometimes we hold on tight to people who are keeping us from realizing our liberation because of the discomfort, the mirror of our life ends up being for them, 
right? Mm -hmm. They're actually invested in us being captured and held in these oppressive states because they have, for whatever reason, not been able to access that, that spot where they can feel those constrictions and, and contradictions and, and face themselves in that way. And it's, it's always so complicated to want to go farther with folks who are equipped or unwilling to go on that journey with us. So mm -hmm. what, mm -hmm. um, we know a thing or two about that, don't Ooh, we, Joe? Lord, a falling away, a falling away of so uh, It's necessary. It's so yeah. necessary. It is, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hard lesson to learn, but I think once you learn that, it, it makes makes it dissolve a little bit. You know, like the, the wound heals a little bit once you realize, like, that was a necessary part for my healing. For the well, yes. not only me, but, like, my people. Yeah, and yes. we've struggled because we live in rural Arkansas, um, if, if we have black community, there are usually folks that are not super politically active. They're very rooted in like Southern Baptist evangelical church. If we got white folks, they're anti-black as fuck. And they think that they are woke because they voted for Obama. So we're in this really interesting place because we're in Southern movements that are grounded in radical tradition, but we don't have right. huge community. So when we get folks in our lives, we tend to hold on really tight because it's like, we ain't got nobody. We got to stay tight. And so we've been learning that over and over again when folks fall away to just release them and know that there's no fear of scarcity, that Black love and radical love will find us. Um, and that, and that that's okay. So I guess that was my pitch to be like, do you need a God mama? Because <laughs> babies to Arkansas so they can come hey. with me. I'll make them, I'll teach them to make hot water cornbread and collards and we'll be good. Look, look, when we, when we drop them off at your house, don't keep that same energy. <laughs> when we like, pop up. Like, <laughs> when we pop up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well thank you so much i i think our last question really is a question we ask everyone um and you can imagine the answer to this since maybe you haven't had any real-time experience but what makes parenting political for you i guess what makes it political for me though is is um i guess everybody have an opinion about it right how you should parent um, you know, what type of parent you should be, parenting styles, um, what you should be teaching your kids. I, I think what makes it political is just is, is just so many choices and everybody got an opinion about it, honestly. That's, that's my answer. Mm -hmm. Sam, yeah. what makes parenting political for you? Yeah, I think we've, we're in at least a country, if not a world where patriarchy really shapes how much we we think about everything um, around gender norms, particularly, I think shows up a lot in, in parenting. Um, and so what is supposed to be when we're in, in the binary sense, what, what a mother's supposed to do, what a father's supposed to do, what a parent is, what that looks like, what we're supposed to be teaching um, our, our young people. And so as like black queer femme people um, or as a black queer femme person, my life is political um, and, and therefore my, my parenting um, is, is political and my children um, are, are political and will be politicized. Um, and so, yeah, I think 
I haven't realized just as much, which is why I often talk about like the internal struggle and the internal work, just how much like white supremacy sneaks up every single time in my in my thoughts and in my actions. And I got to be like, oh, shit. Um, and I know that that's going to be an ongoing practice to name and to adjust um, to ensure that right the, the children that I'm attached to to whether it's these children or children um, that I'm fortunate to be around in this world, that they are able to be as free as possible. And I think that does start with with us. It starts with the adults and the examples that they have around them. Mm. Yes, yeah, it just, um, it's at the top of my mind because I've been a part of this um, rematriation process for my mom's people at some point, um, her grandfather decided to stop identifying as Cherokee. His, his mother was an enrolled person from the Dawes Rolls and he thought being white was easier. So it sort of shifted and my mom was not enrolled. So I'm working to re-enroll her. And one of the things as we've been reclaiming our indigenous, indigenous and native heritage is thinking about the ways that family has been colonized, right? N not just from, um, the capitalistic patriarchal, you know, oppressive systems, but but that white supremacy, that ultimate like anti-black um, settler colonial frame. And so what a beautiful um, story of reclamation to witness that there were so many black lives intentionally converging to create a beautiful safe space, a circle for black young people to be so wanted and so intentional in a world that does not give uh, black families often the choice to construct ourselves. Um, right. It's ultimately an act of like decolonized uh, love. And um, I, I tend to lean toward um, Afro pessimism <laughs> uh, pretty intensely some days because it's, it's hard out in these nonprofit and movement uh, industrial complex streets. But goodness gracious, uh, what you are giving me is a vision of Afrofuturism and how many, many more Black babies will be created in the future. So thank you uh -huh. for coming on our podcast and reminding us of the sacredness of uh, and the speculative hope of Black love and community. Um, I'm just so happy that our Instagram worlds collided. Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Parenting is Political. If you'd like to follow Samantha on Instagram, you can follow their page at Samantha Page Me. That Instagram handle is in the show notes. What's also in the show notes is Keith and Omar's YouTube channel documenting their journey with this as well. So go ahead and check out the show notes to follow both of them. All right. Thank you all so much. Bye.